it's a matter of keeping it at bay and and I guess using the any sort of anxiety or nerves that you have, utilizing that and and putting it into the work that you're doing in a positive way without letting it impact you negatively. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere, a place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. And I'd also like to extend that deep respect to each and every one of you listening. In this episode, you'll hear from Emma Booth, who is a truly extraordinary human being. She has represented Australia at the Olympics and this year at the World Equestrian Games as a para-equestrian. Emma has been at the forefront of my mind for an interview since I heard her story through another podcast. So I was thrilled when she said, yes, let's do it tomorrow at Equitana when I asked her for the interview. Some people might take pity on people who are not fully able-bodied or who've been through the kind of trauma that Emma has. I personally have a reverence for them, especially Emma. She is strong and capable and sits with intention and will not be seen as anything other than an incredible athlete in her own right. Because listeners, that's exactly what she is. It is my absolute pleasure to bring you Emma Booth. Emma Booth, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. Thank you very much for having me here to chat with you today. Oh, it's so fantastic. I've actually been looking to have an interview with Emma for about six months now. And I will tell you that the Emma Booth uh, podcast with Ali Hill on her um, podcast was the first podcast I ever actually listened to. So it was, you were literally the beginning of my podcast journey. Oh, wow. There you go. Well, that was the first podcast that I actually was ever involved in either. So that was uh, a start for both of us, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here we are today doing this together. Yes. So I'm really chuffed. This is such a beautiful thing and it's been a, a goal of mine to get you on the show. So first, can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, okay. Um, that's kind of big, broad question, but I'll see how I go. Um, I guess um, my story, I'm a Paralympian. I competed at the Rio Games in 2016. Um, I also represented Australia at the World Equestrian Games in um, America, which was only last month. And, um, yeah, that's, I guess, I guess what I do in a nutshell. I'm a, a para equestrian and, um, love my riding, love my coaching, um, do a fair bit of motivational speaking as well. And, um, yeah, I've kind of, um, made that my life and where I'm going with it at the moment and who knows where it will lead. But, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of it for the minute. Great. And tell me, did you grow up with horses? Have they always been a part of your life? Uh, no, I didn't start riding until I was, um, I had just turned 11. So my family aren't, um, horsey at all. My parents don't ride or, or anything. So, um, from a very young age, I always had a fascination with horses. I always wanted to ride. Um, and I think my parents thought it was just a bit of a phase that a young girl might go through saying, you know, I want a pony. 
Uh, so they kind of put that off for as long as they could. But then when I had just turned 11, I actually entered a competition that um, a television show called The Saddle Club were running. And the prize was to win a pony for 12 months. And out of over 30,000 kids in Australia that entered, I was actually lucky enough to win that prize. Wow. Yeah. That's and that's not meant to be nothing is. Exactly. So for me, that was a real... Um, life-changing uh i guess uh, moment and uh something that yeah as you said i think it was just a meant to be thing and and really started that was what started my um riding career i suppose and at that minute i think mum and dad realized that it wasn't something they were going to be able to um get me out of it at any time soon so um it just kind of all went from there and what disciplines did you ride? Was it a pony club kind of, of thing for that one year where you learnt everything? Um, it was, yes, but um, the coaches that I had in that 12 months were eventers. Um, so actually after I had only been riding for about four months and I entered my first um, eventing competition with my pony, Scruffy, and uh yeah for me that's where my passion for eventing started and I completely fell in love with that as a sport um I loved the challenge of the three disciplines and and you know the thrill of the cross country was something that I really really enjoyed and I continued doing that through throughout um primary school high school and and into university until I Probably, uh, I went overseas in 2011 and actually, um, was working at a dressage stable in Germany, um, uh, for a dressage rider over there. And that, that sort of guided my riding a little bit into the dressage scene for a while. Um, but I did very quickly get back into the eventing once I got home to Australia. Um, but I think just with a better understanding of the dressage phase. So that, that really helped. Um, and yeah, I think. That was that was where I guess I, I, I started with it all. Great. And it's important for everyone to know uh, that uh, whilst you're now a para-Olympian, you weren't born with a disability. This is something that happened to you during your life, wasn't it? Yeah, yep, definitely. So um, I guess all through the my eventing days, I was an able-bodied rider. Um, and it wasn't until 2013 um, that I was involved in a really serious car accident. Um, a friend and I were on the way home from a horse event in Albury, actually, and um, it was on that trip home that a truck jackknifed onto the wrong side of the road and we had a head-on collision uh, that caused a huge amount of damage to both um, our vehicle and the, the horse float. And, you know, that was a, a really horrific accident and I look back at photos now and just kind of think, how did I actually get out of that? alive um yeah it was it was really really huge and I I do still remember a lot about the accident um you know a lot of people ask me that if I how much I remember and I do remember a lot I blacked out on impact but then I remember waking up in the vehicle afterwards and I have a really clear um moment of memory where um the whole car was shaking and I had to, I was trying to figure out why and what was going on and it only took me a moment to realize that it was the horses in the float thrashing causing the whole car to shake and that was 
um, an absolutely awful feeling because I felt completely helpless and hopeless at that point, not actually being able to get out and do anything. Um, and yeah, it was, it was about, we were in the car for about an hour before we actually got, um, into the ambulance and, and taken to hospital. So it was, you know, a, a traumatic experience, I suppose you would say. And, um, you know, definitely something that is, is hard to look back on sometimes, but, uh, I guess also I do look back on it sometimes to, to kind of think, okay, look, this is where I've actually come from and to where I am now. Uh, and also I, I honestly always feel extremely lucky to actually still, um, be here because it was very close to, to me not. So, um, that's what kind of gives me that drive to just go, you know, take every day as it comes and live every day to the fullest and doing what you love. And, and I guess, yeah, that's, that's where that side of my, um, motivation comes from. And your friend that was in the car with you, how is she? Um, yeah, she, she is okay. She had to have a number of surgeries on her knee. Her knee was completely shattered, but, um, other than that, she's again, extremely lucky. Um, and she's back eventing. She's actually competing at, um, the Adelaide three day at, as we speak uh, this weekend. So yeah, she, she's really managed to get her life back on track. And cause unfortunately both of the horses that were in the float, um, they were both killed in the accident and they were both Courtney's horses my friend's horses um so you know that was extremely hard for her and took a while for her to get that side of her kind of riding and life back on track uh but it is good to see yeah where she's at now and how she's going so um yeah so there are two choices that everyone has in life and and both of them I think are reasonable when you have a massive traumatic event so you can choose to never go back to that thing again that was there and for you it was horse riding and horses because of the trauma and there are people who choose to to step back in tell me about what that was like for you how long it took you to get back on a horse and why you chose to get back on a horse so it was um for me not really a a a question do you know what I mean after my accident it was never a question for me whether I would be able to ride again um I think when I was first taken to hospital, one of the first questions that I asked was if I would be able to walk again, um, which I actually had a, a tube in my throat, which prevented me from speaking at the time. So I actually had to ask my nurse through gesturing with my fingers, a walking gesture. Um, and that's when she told me that it was very unlikely I would walk again. And my next question after that was whether I would be able to ride again, um, which you know, for my brain to kind of instantly have gone to that as, as my second option, you know, and, uh, you know, it was two weeks after my accident that I started Googling, um, the Paralympics and para dressage, para equestrian. What was her answer? For riding? Yes. Um, look, it, it wasn't really an answer to be honest. She, she, I think, um, definitely just kind of, skimmed over it at the time and I think thought it was a bit too early on to even be kind of um answering that as a question I suppose it it was it was 
a more serious question three months after my accident when I saw my spinal surgeon um, and I asked him, can I get back in the saddle? And that's when he gave me a very strict no um, and said that it was it was too soon after my spinal surgery and, and everything hadn't had enough time to properly heal and all that sort of thing. So he said, look, let's wait until the six-month mark, um, come back, we'll do all the scans and everything again, see how your body's healing and progressing and 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 go from there um so that's what i did i went back at the six month mark and that's when i got the a-ok so a couple of days later i was in the saddle for my first ride back tell me about that first ride oh i mean the, the first ride i was extremely lucky um a friend of mine was very good friends with Julia Baddams, who was the National High Performance Director of Para Dressage at the time. And um, she invited me to her property at um, Harkaway, Balmoral in Harkaway, and got me on one of her school horses there that was extremely quiet and she knew um, would be perfect for, for my first ride back. His name was Rocky. And, yeah, I remember every minute of that first ride back the experience I was nothing but excited I think I get the question a lot if I was nervous or not and um, my answer is always no I was just excited I think mum and dad might have been a little bit nervous but um, and the feeling of actually getting back in the saddle was just unbelievable you know I had been confined to either my wheelchair or my bed for those past six months and um, for someone like me that was extremely active and and physical before my accident you know that was a a long six months to not be doing as much as I I used to so um, having that freedom of being back in the saddle and feeling the horse's movement underneath me and something that was so familiar to me before the accident you know, it was just a really reassuring feeling, um, a comforting feeling. It felt very natural. And it was probably at that point where I thought, you know, I actually felt really comfortable. I felt balanced and I, and I felt quite confident. And I, I at that point thought, you know, I, I could actually probably do this quite well. And I think I could, you know, take this as quite a serious um, thing. And I guess that's where then all the next steps kind of fell into place of, you know, looking towards Rio and then friends stepped in for fundraisers and, you know, it all, it all just kind of, for me, looking back, it was all those sort of meant to be things that, that happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And what the feeling of the horse was the same underneath you. What did you have to adjust to in your body? Tell me the the, the changes you had to make physically while sitting in the saddle because as riders people listening to this um, are equestrians so it's it's I'd just love to know what it is you feel and how you your balance has to be extraordinary yeah look it's completely it was you know especially my first ride back it was completely different to what I had done so it, you know I felt comfortable and confident and everything but it was very very different and I really had to relearn everything from scratch um obviously my past riding experience you know I took all of that knowledge forward and and into my new style of riding but that's in a way really what I had to do I had to create my own new style of riding and work out how I could communicate with the horses with that um without my leg as as an, an aid and you know, it did take a little bit of time and initially it could be a little bit frustrating because I knew what I wanted my body to do, but, you know, not being able to do it, I had just had to figure out other ways. And 
Um, yeah, as I said, it did take a little bit of time, but I figured out now my best, my best way of communicating with the horse is really through, uh, my voice, my weight, trying to just do small shifts in my weight. Uh, and I'm also allowed to ride with two whips, so I can use those behind my leg, uh, as sort of a compensating aid instead of my leg there. Uh, and again, that was something that actually took me a little bit of time to, perfect you know using those whips in a way that's really gentle and soft and has a similar effect to that you know forward um asking aid without it being you know too too much or or too little um so it it did take a little bit of time but I feel like I'm at the point now where I'm really confident with my riding and I'm able to have been able to get on a few different horses and and you know get I suppose the the best gears out of them that I can. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers that question. It in, does. It in, answers in the question way. perfectly. And what I would like to know also is if I th- first of all let's talk about your injury. This is a podcast, so people can't see you right now. We'll put up pictures on social media. So you're you kept your legs. Do you have any feeling or movement or use of those legs? That's also a difficult question. Spinal cord injuries are an extremely uh, strange thing and everybody's injury is different. Um, and so, again, initially when we were in hospital and you're asking questions to the doctors and the nurses and things, they don't actually have a straight answer for you because they don't know, you know. So initially my obvious questions were, you know, am I going to get any movement back? Am I going to get any feeling back? All those sorts of things. And and they're literally like, well, we don't know. We can't tell you because everybody's progression and things is different. So in a nutshell, now um, uh, I do have some sensation on the front of my thighs um, I have no feeling underneath. I have some altered sensation, very weird, um, in patches lower in my leg and then nothing below that. Um, and I have some use of my hip flexors and adductors, very small amount. Um, and again, I think that helps slightly when I am riding, you know, and those hip flexors, I, I probably overwork because that's what I try and use to keep myself forward a little bit. Um, maybe that's cheating and not using my abs. <laughs> um, but again, I am also very lucky. I, well, I think I'm very lucky that my spinal cord in- injury, I'm at, um, what's classed as an L2 level injury and that's very low, which means that I do actually have still a lot of control of my core. And again, for me, that's something that really, really helps me with my stability and balance in the saddle. So, um, yeah, again, I think that kind of answers the yeah, question. Perfectly. Yeah. Now, people have told me that they're starting to use horses for spinal injury because the movement itself stimulates the spine. Do you think, and I know you won't be, a, this is going to be a what do you think question because we can't prove it because you're in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Do you think the riding has helped you get back a little bit of those sensations over time? And do you think it might possibly continue to do so? That is a really good question. I actually really like that question. I think a hundred percent yes. Um, I think that, you know, me getting back in the saddle and riding, um, initially I was only riding sort of once a week. Um, and obviously now I'm riding every day and the more I'm riding, the more obviously fit strength I get in my body and everything. But I think that it's helped enormously with, if I look at where I was, um, 
initially in in hospital before I had got back in the saddle to now you know the more I'm riding that I just feel like the 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 more improvement I've I've had um initially I had absolutely no sensation in my legs so to have that in the front of my thighs you know whether that has to do with the riding I don't know would it have come back anyway you don't know that's what I mean but we don't know, you, you know but there's an... and there's like that's why spinal cord injuries are so strange but I do I do think that it's definitely helped me if not with any of that sensational movement it's definitely helped me with my upper body strength my fitness my balance you know even me balancing myself in the saddle that helps enormously when I'm even just sitting here in my wheelchair or if I transfer and I'm sitting on a bed you know if I look back to when I was in hospital initially I couldn't sit up straight by myself without someone supporting me mm. you know so to now be able to transfer from my chair and jump onto a bed or another chair and and hold myself upright and sit on my own again I, that riding and using my balance and stability for that has to I think help then in, in other ways yeah. yeah I definitely think it does and you sit very strong and very confidently with your posture as well so it's great to see and I've had body workers who've told me, my osteon, people like that, who say the action of riding, there's nothing in the world that simulates that exact movement. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm a bit of a believer. That yeah. Um, that yeah, I definitely agree. I think, yeah, it's a very interesting point. It's something interesting to talk about. But, yeah, I do... I do think it's... Um, Watch this space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the horses. Are there horses that are bred or um scouted for working with people um in the para field um no not at this stage um i mean i've been really lucky with my horse my rio horse and weg horse zadan um he was just an able-bodied dressage horse so he'd never had any para training before i got him um but he just is extremely well trained and um i think he's got a extremely good nature that helps 100% he's also very intelligent and that helps um and he's got a great work ethic you know he just loves his job and he loves um trying to please you know he's always trying to please so for me my first ride on him he'd never done any para dressage before and within 5 minutes he was you know we're doing transitions walk trot he's doing exactly what i'm wanting him to do all through my voice and whips and 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 whatnot you know he's absolutely incredible so yeah i'm i'm really lucky and i guess when looking for power horses it's extremely hard because you need something if you're looking at an internationally competitive horse you need something that is extremely um i guess talented in their movement and their um expression and all that sort of thing they have to have a great walk great trot like really good paces so the quality has to be really good but then they have to have a brain that is sensible enough to be a para horse you know i'm not don't want to get on something that is too dangerous like exactly you can't ride a thousand shies in a buck no you know there's just there's no point and you want something that yeah you do feel safe on and a hundred percent of the time I always feel safe with Zidane um but yeah you know that's there's that extra element of finding a power horse where often with that um really the talented horses and horses that have that really expressive movement 
quite often there can be a degree of almost oversensitivity or, or difficulty. So finding a horse that, you know, likes a darn, he's sensitive for sensitive enough for me to get you know keep him going and do everything without my leg but he's not overly sensitive that he overreacts to anything that I'm asking him to do so um, it's really finding that balance of something that's talented and and works with you without being you know overly sensitive I think is the word yeah Yeah, for me one in a million horse that is yeah it really is it really is you know like it's we're all looking for that perfect you know dressage horse but then again as I said with the para there just comes that extra element of you know degree of difficulty in finding them so I have been yeah really lucky with Zidane Um, I've also been really lucky with a few of the other horses that I've managed to get out and compete you know Wasabi Sun who I competed all through 2017 he was a beautiful horse, very different to Zidane, very um, in just in his build and his way of going. He was very different to ride, um, and I did have to adjust my riding slightly for both horses, but he was amazing and kept me out competing, and we got some really great scores with him. In what way did you have to change your riding? That's really interesting. Yeah, so with Zidane, um, you know, I can get a transition with him and he... Once he's he's in his rhythm, he naturally just continues traveling forward. He's very forward thinking and he just travels. He's in a rhythm and he just goes. So for me, it's a matter of just sitting with him, going with him and making those slight adjustments, you know, with the hand or, you know, getting him a little bit rounder or more flexion, whichever, you know, whatever it is I need. But always knowing that he just keeps traveling forward, traveling forward until you, will, you know, ask for a transition back. And Sabi was a lot less forward thinking, um, almost more on the dull side, you know. And again, with a quiet horse, often sometimes you can get that degree of almost dullness. So again, that's, you know, finding that balance of something that's quiet without being too dull. And, you know, Sabi, he was on the border, but he, because he did again have quite a good work ethic and he was quite intelligent, I was able to, um, I use a lot more voice commands with Sabi. So again, with Zidane, it would only be clicking noises. So I'll just do, or, you know, different noises. Um, but with Sabi, it would be more like trot on and canter. And, you know, he, he learnt those words when I wanted him to do it. And because he was so receptive to that, they, that really helped. Um, again, I think a lot of the groundwork helped with him. So his owner would always use voice commands on the ground when he was being lunged, always using those same words. Um, so it was, you know, it, it transitioned quite well into my riding and how I could get him to do, to do those things. Um, but he was a lot more horse to ride. So again, you know, I felt like I had to do a lot more with him to actually keep it up and elevated and going. Whereas Zidane, you could just sit a lot more quietly and soft. Does, I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. Perfect sense. Yeah. Yes, translates yeah. beautiful to horse people. Will it yeah, definitely understand I hope so. <laughs> that? Now I've got a question that might seem a bit strange, mm-hmm. but if I think about when I'm able-bodied and if I lost one of my senses, I would actually become more attuned to all of my other senses so my question is is there somewhere where you're i'll just ask it directly are you a better rider now than you were before because of that heightened ability to to have to bring in your other senses like the ability to ride for me as an able-bodied person and the ability for you to ride i would think you would be a 20 times better rider than i could ever be because what you're able to achieve 
Yeah, look, I definitely think that I um, I have learnt a lot. I've learnt a lot more since my accident than, than before and I definitely think that I'm a better rider now for it. Um, you know, as you said, perfectly you lose in losing that ability to that's that's a your leg is a complete aid that you use to communicate with the horse when you're riding and to then not have that you're relying so much more heavily on your other aids to communicate with the horse you know it I think it it made me have a greater understanding of communicating with the horse it made me have a greater understanding of um the respect and and bond that you can form with the horses to get those sort of results and it definitely yeah it made me I think have a better understanding just of um in in terms of training a horse the the ways in which you do that and it's got to be very clear and consistent and and I think, you know, I always had that in the back of my mind before, but I really didn't have to put that into practice until after my accident. You know, always being really clear to them with what I'm asking, always being consistent so that that learning pattern for them is is made a lot easier. And, um, yeah, I think, I, I yeah, without sounding uh, too, like I've got too much of a big head, I, I definitely think that I'm a better rider now for it. You have... Uh, ridden at the Olympics and you've ridden at WEG, I think we can qualify you as a great rider. So there's no <laughs> big head there. Tell me what it's like competing at a world-class level like that. Look, it's absolutely amazing and it's it's a feeling that it's very difficult to describe. Uh, you know, for me, going out onto the world stage in Rio was really, really overwhelming Um and I think probably more overwhelming than I was expecting. I went in to Rio quite cool, calm, collected and, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't overthink it too much. And I think when we got there, it was a bit like, wow, you know, this is, this is big deal. This is huge. Um, and similar thing at WEG, you know, for me at, at the World Games just gone, it was very high pressure. There was a lot of pressure on both Sudan and I to perform. And, you know, it's a matter of, having that pressure on you and knowing that there's that pressure there but keeping it at bay enough to still um put your put your best foot forward yeah (laughs) no pun intended um so you know yeah it's a matter of keeping it at bay and and i guess using the any sort of anxiety or nerves that you have utilizing that and and putting it into the work that you're doing in a positive way without letting it impact you negatively you know and that's a really hard thing to do I think that's it it is difficult you know because often you can see that those nerves getting the better of riders and it's it's a really difficult thing to kind of contain that and and you know when you're competing on the world stage it's also very difficult to go oh you know what this is just another show like let's just go out and do our thing it's really hard to do that because you're going out onto the world stage yeah. and you know you it's it's difficult to kind of go oh no nothing let's just go out and ride but you know how you, do you do it ah uh, i think it it is a matter of kind of downplaying it a little bit for me it was anyway you know you just kind of have to be like yep this is just another day and we're just doing our thing um there were certain people in the team that got a little bit more anxious and quite nervous you know and for me it was just a matter of you've got to go you know it's another day we know what we're doing we've done the work yeah it's a matter of knowing having confidence in the work that you've done 
and just going out there and, and doing what you have done and know you can do. Yeah, and you've got to really back yourself, don't you, Yeah, I definitely. And having the people, your, t- your team there is also really important. So, you know, my, my coach was in Rio, my coach Lorna, she was at WEG and having her there – you know, it then makes it again like just another training session. If she's there in the warm-up arena, you know, you've got your headphones in and she's talking you through the warm-up, it does make it very much like it's another, it's just another training day and you do what you do, get the work done um, and then keeping that into the main arena, knowing your test, that's also really important because if you're worrying about remembering the test, you're not really focusing on riding, you know. So that's, yeah, another, I guess, a little bit of advice. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. What is it about um, the high-level competition that you love so much? Oh, that's also a very good question. I love the challenge. I'm quite a competitive person by nature. Um, so I do love challenging myself I like putting that kind of um, setting those goals for myself and the feeling you get when you achieve those goals Um, so for me yeah it's probably a bit of thrill seeking I I think too so you know knowing that there's that pressure and and going forward and and trying to do your best it's it's I like I like the the hard work and every you know everything that goes into it behind the scenes I do enjoy all of that and then there's nothing that beats the feeling when you've achieved something you know for example competing on the world stage doing a test that you know is is you know a really really great test nothing beats that feeling of coming out of the arena and you're just on a complete high and you know the connection you've got with the horse there that you've worked with for so many days in the lead up that's an, an amazing feeling, you know. And same thing, exactly what happened here at Equitana on what day was it? Uh, Friday. Um, you know, I rode my mare Rolly in the masterclass here with and Pedro Torres. With Pedro Torres, yes. And it was the most amazing feeling, you know. I've put all this work in with Rolly, and we we training every day, and to go out onto that stage, f- surrounded by people, and have that round of applause at the end, you know, or, or each time we were doing something and getting that round of applause, and I came out just absolutely buzzing, you know, buzzing, and nothing nothing beats that feeling. So for me, that's probably what what it is yeah and I was at that master class I made sure I got here and I made sure I was there for that because I really love it's one thing to watch people on videos and it's another thing to see them in person yeah and I love Pedro Torres as well so it was such a beautiful combination and he's such a a, a beautiful spirited person and he gave you such great advice and what I loved the most about him was at the end he said thank you so much it's been such an incredible pleasure and honor for me to work with you yeah. like that's just Tell me about what that could possibly be like for oh, you. And again, you know, that was part of the buzz. Like he was just absolutely amazing. And then to have him, you know, give her any sort of compliment was just like, you know, mind-blowing sort of stuff. And uh, I really, really enjoyed working with him because I think – uh, you know, so I worked with him for a short amount of time on the Wednesday and then we came back on the Friday to do the masterclass in front of all these people. And, you know, you kind of, I walked into the arena on Rolly and he was still working on the horse um, prior to me. 
But as soon as I came into the arena, he made eye contact, gave me a massive smile and was like, good morning, Emma. And that was all it took for me to just go, ah, okay, I can relax a little bit, you know. And he just had that vibe about him the whole time you were working with him that was just this really like, he's a lovely person, he's passionate about what he does and that makes you you know, have that passion for it as well and you want to do well for them. Um, and I really like how he works with the horses. He's just super soft. He's really, really calming and he doesn't o- over pressure anything f- yeah. with the horses, you know, and I think that's a, a really important thing too. So I really, really, I loved working with him. That was a real high, a real buzz. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And on that note, you see Pedro Torres as like that. There's a lot of people in the world, especially in Australia, who would see you like that. What's that like for you being such an inspiration for so many people? Like you really are, and people would have to tell you that all the time. What's it like having that sense of purpose and that... That. <laughs> uh, that's a very difficult question. Um you know, I, I do, I often get that. I do. And even after the masterclass, you know, I was at Equitana here yesterday and I had a lot of people come up and say to me, oh, we saw your masterclass with Pedro and it was so amazing and you're so inspiring and that sort of thing. And you hear the word inspiring and for me it's still just kind of sometimes just washes over you, you know. it doesn't. I don't yeah. think it really sinks in for me um, that I do have that positive effect on people I love I love hearing that you know if I've had any sort of positive impact on somebody's life or their outlook on life you know I love that Um, and I do really enjoy hearing that because it does give me a sense of purpose in what I'm doing but at the same time I do have to sort of I let it brush over me a little bit you know because um, I think it's important to stay grounded and um, just I'm just doing what I do I just I'm doing what I love doing, you know, having the opportunity to ride my horses, um, you know, compete at the World Games, compete at Rio, do something like the Masterclass here at Equitana. Those are just things that I love doing for myself. So by me, I guess, enjoying that, if that's, you know, inspiring, then I think that that's great. But at the same time, I just, again, I just got to do what I do and I'm loving what I'm doing. So yeah, you're not doing it to be an inspiration. You're doing it because it's what you're here to do. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. And as I said, if that does have any sort of positive impact, then I think that that's just a bonus. Mm, And it most certainly does. Where to next for you? Um, I have set the next goal to be um, to compete at the Paralympics in Tokyo 2020 with Zidane. Um, so he will be, he's 16 now, so he'll be rising 18 uh, for Tokyo. Um, and that'll be our last one with him. So after that, he'll retire. But I definitely think, you know, particularly with how he performed at the World Games after such a short amount of time since his colic surgery the, the year before, you know, to see how he performed at the World Games, I 100% think that he's still got that, you know, that ability to now even put our another step it up another gear, you know. Our preparation into the World Games wasn't ideal um, considering his colic surgery the the year before you know we lost at least six months you know going into that he wasn't as fit as he could have been I don't think he was as strong as he could have been um but you know we got there we did what we went there 
to do. Um, we learnt a lot. You know, obviously we didn't come back with a medal and that was disappointing, but I think that's also just a little bit of a fire in my belly and, and giving me that little bit of extra uh, motivation, I suppose, to, to push even harder and work towards Tokyo. Um, and as I said, I think that now we've got the time between now and Tokyo to put in the best kind of preparation that we possibly can to try and get the best result we can in Tokyo. You know, again, it's horses. You never know what's going to happen in the world of horses. But at the minute, that's the goal. And beyond that, who knows? <laughs> wow. Yeah, one step at a time. And that's a yeah. massive goal as well. It's not like I'm going to pop down to the shops next week. It's yeah. literally you're looking at an Olympic game. Yeah, it's a big goal. But I'm yeah. I'm 100% behind it. And I think that um, I think it's very doable with Zidane. And I think that he'll try his best for me. So Yeah, fantastic. Emma, how can we find out more about you and support you on your journey? Uh, that would be on my website, which is www.emmaboothparaequestrian.com. Um, also my Instagram, emmabooth__paraequestrian. Um, and, yeah, definitely on my website. And we've got the contact email address on the website, which anyone's welcome to get in touch with me, um, sending, sending an email that way. So, yeah. Great. And I'll have all of the links in the show notes. Well, Emma, thank you so much. It is amazing to finally be able to sit down and speak to you. I've always wanted to hear and share your story. And I think it's amazing. And I will absolutely be one of the millions who's right behind you all the way up to Tokyo. No, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I've loved some of these questions. So um, it's been really enjoyable for me. Thank you. Fantastic. To connect with Emma, you can follow the links in the show notes or go to the blog on my website where you can see photos that were taken at Equitana as well. Go to comealongfortheride.com.au I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.